This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. to another episode of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. I can dig it. Can you? Can you dig it? I can. That is what I should have said, but I was going to say something else anyway. So this is, guys, this is the first episode of the Conversation Series. Actually, it's not even called the Conversation Series anymore because it's more than a series. It's now a part of the podcast. It's what it's going to be come from now on. So we're going to be doing two of these a month, and I have a very, very special guest to bring to you guys today. My good friend and fellow MC member of the past conversation with my friend Jerry Commander, the great and powerful Dan Allen. Dan, how are you tonight, sir? I'm doing fantastic. How oh, you, sir? yes, sir. We, we, we have a lot of good stuff here. We have literally, as we are, we are seeing, we have three, cheers, brother. We have three three whiskey bottles in front of us today. I have a Diet Coke because I'm a bitch, and Dan is a full-ass grown man, even though... Great. Yeah, he, 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 drinks it, he drinks it like a man, and I, I drink it like less of a man, so that's kind of everything else, and, and you know, so it's just kind of, that's how we, how we work with things here, you know? You know what? You like what you like. You well, know, and it's fun because it, it, you're like the young buck of like the people that we hang out with. That's like, fair. That's fair. <clears throat> I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, you're twenty. You, you are twenty-one. Right? I am twenty-one. Uh, I've actually did. Correct. Okay. Yeah. When do you turn twenty-two? Uh, March, actually. Okay. All right. So you're, you're, you're an older twenty-one. So that's I, I feel it makes you feel a little bit older. Yeah. Little mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, awesome. I'm still two years younger than anyone else in our group, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sometimes. I think. And, and I mean, we were t we were kind of talking about that a little bit a little bit earlier. We we're talking about like because I think like the reason that. I think you and I like each other a lot and so much is that we, we find common ground with a lot of stuff and I think we, we both pride ourselves on just kind of being a man, what that entails, all that kind of stuff. We were, I was talking about earlier kind of just the passing of time as you're we kind of getting older and a lot of other different things and we're both, you know, in our, hopefully in our prime at this point. Right, we're, yeah. Yeah, we're doing a lot of different kind of stuff and we're seeing, and we're seeing a lot of people age out of that. Like I was talking with, I was talking with a family friend this week who's in that latter stage the twilight of his life like in the 50s and 60s and he's getting kind of kind of moody and a little, a little bit depressed about all that kind of stuff which is really really hard for me to see because it's someone who i look up to in a really really you know good regard and all that kind of stuff but it, it's it's interesting man because like you know men are such more complicated creatures than people make us out to be yes and I, especially if we're really tapped into like our, our masculine energy and everything and it's kind of like We've talked about the ways to like, you know, preserve that and keep that and everything else. And it's, it's harder than a lot of people give it credit for. It's really, really hard, honestly. Absolutely. And, and you were talking about, about your friend earlier and, and you know, it's, it's hard when you get to that stage of life that he's at and he's starting to reflect on all the things that he's done in his life. And, and, um, you gotta be grateful for the older generation who wants to talk and wants to, uh, 
lets you learn their knowledge, give you their knowledge sure. in some degree. And so yeah. um, having older friends like that is definitely beneficial because you get to start to learn from that and learn from their past experiences, mistakes, and and, and what have you. So. Yeah, and it's it's you learn also that you know your attitude does shift as, as, as you get older. Like you kind of are not going to be in this type of spirit where you're kind of doing all this stuff all the time for either you're going to be constantly grind, 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 all this, all this kind of stuff. And then afterwards, when some of that starts to fade away as you get into retirement and you're kind of losing that sense of like, I don't really have to bust my ass all the time. I don't have to work all the time. And I, I can kind of go into that, like I, the phrase I put earlier, kind of like the twilight of your life mm -hmm. to do a lot of that sort of thing. And that's a lot of people think they look at that kind of stage of life as like a glorious time. Like I finally get to, you know, hang, hang up the cape as it were, like put my jersey up in the rafters, the whole thing. But I think it's, it's way more comp complex than that because I mean, you have a lot of things where you have men are so defined by what we do and the yes. actions we take yes. that when that's gone, dude, like, I mean, a lot of stuff goes away with it. A lot of stuff goes away. I was going to say at some point, depending on how, on how your life has gone, to some degree, I mean, we as men, we're pushed rightfully so to be providers and not saying that, you know, I'm not saying anything other than men in general are ten, tend to be pushed to be providers. At some point when you've kind of reached your your potential, your max in that regard, you kind of start to like, I presume, start to lose a feeling of purpose a little bit. Mm. And that's what like, I've seen that in, in my own dad. Oh, and yeah. Like, oh, absolutely. Mm. And things like that. So... And, I, and so I definitely look at that and I, and I tell myself, like, I want to leave. When I'm, when I'm getting to that age, I hope that I've impacted or affected somebody in a positive way where they can live their life and um, make an impact on, a, on, on future generations and other people. And, and it's not necessarily for me. It's for other people. And that's what I feel like where we should be deriving our purpose from and things like that. Yeah, and, and I think that, like, I shit on self-help and self-improvement and self-growth. Like, I shit on that kind of culture a lot. Like, I think a lot of it is bullshit. A lot of it is kind of, like, fluffy, you know, nonsensical stuff. But that, that I think you hit on a really interesting point there where it was like, you know, we're, we're talking about all the things that are involved in, you know, life. And then eventually you do kind of reach that ceiling. And I think that that's why I think a lot of men in, in the previous generation, like, I think, like, our fathers or grandfathers, essentially, they had not a fixed mindset, but like a fixed state of like, this is where I'm supposed to fit. And this is the box I'm supposed to fit. Right. And I think that a lot of the positive things, even though there are a lot, there's a lot going wrong with men in, in modern America today is kind of saying that, you know, there is that spirit of innovation of growth inside of the, the minds of a lot of young men today, which is a very big positive thing. I now do they know where to channel it oftentimes and properly a lot, a lot of the times. No, but when they do, that's when you see these men a lot of times being really, really fulfilled, really, really satisfied. And that's something I think we have an inherent advantage of kind of doing all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I see people taking advantage of that and outlets being like in sports. I see a lot of older, like even like some of my previous supervisors, they loved going. And um, what did he, I had a manager, he used to go and kickbox. Yeah. And he, yeah. You know, he did do that. And I remember him coming into, into the off or coming into the shop and telling us about his kickboxing and we're all just kind of like, haha. You know, he's all yeah. like, kickboxing. And then we had a discussion earlier before prior to this, and it made me think of him and think about how this is kind of his outlet. Because he's also getting up into that stage of life. He's in his 50s. Yeah. And, um, but also back to your point about, about um, self-care and self-help, I think the majority of it is absolutely personal responsibility. Mm. And But also there's uh, the only way to learn personal responsibility is to start from a young age. Like, 
personally, I didn't like, I moved out at 19. I had all my own bills at like, I wanted to have all my own bills at 18. Moved out at 19 and have like tried to grow my life to where it's at. Yeah. And like, there's a lot to be said for personal responsibility. Um, but you are definitely like, I'm very grateful for the people that I've had in my life, especially older, older gentlemen, uh, pastors that I've worked for in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, really great guys. I've gotten to glean and learn knowledge from. Yeah. What, where did you think, so did you go out seeking that personal responsibility for yourself or did you want to, well, you said self-help is personal. So you, I'm assuming you wanted to help your own life in doing that. So, and did you think that helping yourself was at that time correlated to the personal responsibility aspect of it? Or was that something you kind of just discovered because you made a decision, I'm getting the hell out of this house. I'm, I'm starting my life and doing all this kind of stuff. Was that kind of just something you discovered along the way? Or was that something that kind of you thought was going, was going to happen? And it's something that I discovered because I, I, you know, at some point I said, I, I can't do this. I can't live here. I can't put up with the things that are going on in this house. I have to make a change. Yeah. No one's going to give me that change. No one's going to, you know, I can't, um, I can't think about this enough and make it a change. Like I, yeah. the more I can process this all day and think about everything that's going on in my life, but without actually taking a step, whether it's a step forward or a step to the side, it's not a step backwards. Right. And so that's what, you know, that's, that's kind of the leap of faith I took, um, to move out at 19. And, uh, I really, honestly, I wanted to move out at 18, but yeah. it just didn't really work out that way. But, um, in that process, I, I, I learned, I was, I always say at that point in my life, I was surviving. I was making like 12 bucks an hour working 40 hours sure. a week, um, with an occasional side gig on the weekends. Um, and definitely come a long way since then, but it was all about learning how to make your life your own with what you have. Yeah. That's an interesting thing because now that we're on the subject of the older, of the older generation of men in this country, I think the world, but especially in this country, there are, there's a decline in responsibility as you get older. And it's, it's kind of like you, you increase, it's like a it's like a roller coaster. Like you go up, 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 and then us all of a sudden, boom, mortgage is paid off. Kids are out of the house. Yeah. Uh, all this other stuff kind of falls out. Like your, your, your relationships are settled. Like all this kind of stuff. Your parents are probably either moved on to the next life or kind of they're, they're not really that much of a burden on you anymore. And you kind of see all of these things that, you know, to your point earlier, you said it was all drawn from either close relationships or things that are very personal to you. All of those are, are set. Right. And you're kind of looking at everything and you're like, holy fuck, where the hell do I turn with all this kind of stuff? Right. And it's, it's, that's a very interesting thing. I never really thought about that because there is kind of a responsibility gap with older men, not because they don't want to take it, because it just kind of naturally as life goes into that season for them, it just kind of goes away from them in a lot of ways. Right. And so now it's, you know, now it's, so now you've kind of lost that sense of, of I don't want to say purpose, because you definitely have a loss of purpose, but you kind of, those things that mattered so much to you are now kind of complete in a sense. Like yeah. at, at that point when you're like 55, 60, you know, chances are at least from, the, the things that I've seen, this is all personal perspective, Yeah. but the things that I've seen people at that age that in their jobs, they're not, you know, starting their careers anymore. They're peaking their careers or, or looking towards retirement at that sure. point. And so these are all kind of things that I saw my parents going through. And, um, it's, it's definitely an interesting, interesting point to be, I feel like. And I, I don't know. It's, and then you also have to take the personal responsibility back and say, okay, what's next? What do I have next? And oftentimes, like what I look forward to in my life is I look forward to um, working with, like, I love working with students right now. Okay. Student ministry. In, in the church, yeah. In the church. Okay. Um, just because 
personal responsibility isn't something that's that's taught; it's learned. Mm, and you know, yes. if, if I can if I can give a student a pointer on how to you know how to handle a hard situation at home, that's very beneficial for them and for me because at some point in my life, that gives me a sense of purpose and a sense of um, like I've impacted someone positively. Yeah, of course. So that's kind of what I look forward to when I get to that age. And I, I think it's almost an obligation because like there's this old, um, do you know who Joseph Campbell is? I can't say that I do. No one knows who fucking Joseph Campbell is. A lot of people <laughs> know who So Joseph Campbell wrote, in my opinion, one of the most influential books in the history of the world called The Man with a Thousand Faces. And so Joseph Campbell, basically, he outlined the hero's journey in full aspect of it. And uh, so he basically, and like, so, so for context, George Lucas used Joseph Campbell's book to create Star Wars. Okay. Like that's like, and if you look at Star Wars, like the, the original trilogy of Star Wars, mm -hmm. it is the hero's journey eclipsing full aspect of it. There's everything involved in it. And there's a big part of the hero's journey, I think it's stage nine of the hero's journey that, that Joseph Campbell laid out called the atonement with the father. And it's basically when you confront that, that masculine figure inside of you. But however, there are two dyads of this. So like, for example, in Star Wars, there is Luke Skywalker's father is obviously Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader. Right. But the person who is able to prepare him for that is what um, Joseph Campbell and what uh, Chuck Palahniuk, who the guy who wrote Fight Club and Choke and all those great books, he called and they, they, they dubbed the secondary father. And that's a mentor that comes in or a person that really helps assist them to eventually do battle with the father, which in this case, it's in the Star Wars analogy, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. And I guess Yoda, but Yoda's really not a human being, so I don't even know if it counts. But like, yeah, that's fair. That's but Obi-Wan Kenobi is that person that helps Luke Skywalker to prepare and eventually conquer his father at the end of the day. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that, that is a lot of thing where I think a lot of older men, and they have almost an, an innate nature-driven obligation to do this, even though it's, it doesn't, it's like you said, it's not self-evident, but it's kind of just so hardwired into stories that we hear and, and movies that we watch and books that we read and all this other kind of stuff that it's, it's that maybe that's the solution to all of this where it's like people, they just need to adopt that secondary father mentality where they kind of say, okay, you know, young person, whatever, let's, let's help you move on to, you know, do what I did in life and hopefully make less mistakes that I did. Right. And it also doesn't have to be someone who's older. Like, you know, even, you know, we can't, I don't know how to, how to put it, but like even us as uh, being younger, we have an obligation to those who are growing up. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm 21. Yeah, 21. Right. I have very yeah. little, yeah, yeah. if not no room to talk. Um, but you know, I, I feel an obligation to to be there for for students growing up. Or you know, one day I look forward to having kids. And the the thing that I love is I get to kind of be that big brother that maybe these students never had. Sure. Or the friend that that I wish I had when I was their age. And so I think that kind of goes with you. And it's a common motif through a lot of stories, like you were saying. Um, to to be there for others because it really it really feels good and we as a society are pushed towards um, being very self centered very independent yes as opposed to like if you look back at like um, ancient Greece you'll you'll see like very a very um, independent culture mm -hmm. where it's very individual uh, individualistic thinking um, and then if you look at like Sparta. Yeah, it's very, very much communal. communal. Like, yes. if your child wasn't going to help the community, off the cliff it goes. Right. That's right. That's and, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, 
I, I you know I think both sides of those are wrong. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no babies off the, off the cliff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, it's, and not a twenty twenty three resolution we're all going to have. Exactly. Yeah, right. You know, there are doctors right. and things. Yes. And, you know, yes. Of but course. I think there's a happy medium between um, making sure you know between self responsibility and then also helping others and being communal in your thinking. Yeah, and I think that there's. Oh, there were a lot of quotes in 2022 that I that I loved, and there were a lot of people that said that. I think my favorite quote I heard involved last year, and and, and please, you know, this is probably going to turn it off a lot of viewers. Tucker Carlson said it. Okay. Tucker Carlson said a quote that I thought was so profound and so wise that he said that in modern times, human beings have done everything in po- everything possible to numb their instincts. And I think that is so, so true. Mm-hmm. Like everything, when you look at all the stuff, when you like blow it across all this other kind of stuff, there, there's a five point plan for everything. There's this course right. you have to take. There's this certification you have to get. Like no one fucking just goes out and does shit anymore. Right. And, and that's like, and obviously that's a generalization. Like there's certain of people course, that, yeah. that do that. But you know, there's something about, it, this is an inherently natural thing for men to do. It, it has been to your point about like, the, the Sparta is a great example. I never really thought about that one, but Sparta is a great example. There, I mean, if, if you look at like Native American tribes, like yeah. all, all that kind of stuff, like Native Americans were all about this. They were all about bringing up the community together. I would say a lot of you know tribes anywhere, whether that East Asia, Africa, you know, all this other kind of stuff. Th- this is what they did. Like the, the the Germanic Huns, all this kind of stuff. That was what they did in terms of all this kind of stuff. It was all about the community. It was all about raising everything up. Mm-hmm. And I think that. Like there's a lot of things that I think both men and women are shying away from in deliberate opposition to what they think they know that they should be doing. And and one of those things you were talking about earlier was you said you mentioned your boss the kickboxing. I was talking about yeah. my, my my guys at the boxing gym. Shout out Mike White, my guy Mike, Mike White over at the boxing gym, Mad Mike, doing all the, all this sort of stuff where there are I see something when I, I buy I, so I box you know to the people listening I box you know six classes a week two day two days I, I was there this morning. And so I was doing all this stuff and I, I boxed with Mike this morning. And so there are a lot of, you see something when men are in touch with like that inherently masculine ethos, like the thing that every man wants to have the capacity, I think, I think regardless of the one who admitted or not, to be able to perform violence and do violence if violence is required. Like if you are threatened and you right. need to defend yourself, you should be able to defend yourself. If your family is threatened, you should be able to defend your family yes. and all this kind of stuff. And we've become so domesticated to that where no one really wants to, it's not encouraged anymore. Any, any, you know, any instance of standing up for yourself. I remember when I was in school, um, I don't know if this is the case for you, but like, I remember that, you know, if, so let's just say I was in middle school and a kid went up and socked me straight in the face and I went to punch him back. We both get suspended. Right. And I was like, like, what the fuck kind of sense does that make? It's like, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. And he's like, well, you, you did like you hurt somebody. It's like, well, you, you hurt somebody, but that person started it. He hurt me first. It's like he, he, he went up, up into my shit. You know, it's, just, right. it's, it's not right. It's, it's not right at all. And so when I, when I see these men, they, their eyes, like when they get really get into the zone, like they, they just light up. Yes. And then you can tell that they're in that natural flow state that so many people are missing. And I think there are a lot of things to be said for women too. But as guys, this is which is what I see for a lot of men in that older demographic. And a lot of younger men, thankfully, are getting in that kind of demographic so they can let the thing out before it really festers and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, I I, I, tell, I agree for for the most part because like violence and as a whole can be a very dangerous thing and a very beneficial thing. So it can you know, and the idea of masculinity is so like it's it's been downplayed in a sense mm-hmm. where it's not as prevalent or as as important. And I think 
the thing is like we have the society have become very comfortable in the day-to-day -day, uh, rat race if you will yeah you know it's not necessarily you know it's not necessary necessarily in everyday life to you know know how to fight or things like that sure but i think in terms of preserving a, a healthy community it's important to be able to defend yourself man or woman yeah um, sure absolutely but you know especially for men to be able to defend others and then um, I think part of it, part of that whole defense thing or violence, I think boils down to courage. Mm. Do you have what it takes to, if someone comes up and, and uh, you know, is fighting with your girlfriend, your wife, what have you, or even, you know, even, a, you know, your little brother, I mean, you might leave your little brother for dead, who knows, I don't know. Well, yeah, <laughs> 2023 resolution, <laughs> we're not endorsing it. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, yeah. enforcing that masculine, um, that national masculinity to defend others is, is so important and, and definitely is downplayed um, just because we have become so comfortable as a society where we're at. Yeah, and, and I think that like there was this one video that I'll never forget seeing. So it was in it was in New York this past year at some point, I think a year, year and a half ago, something like that. And there was this guy and he gets into like this this scuffle with this this woman aboard the subway and they're kind of it escalates and it gets into a shouting match and whatever. And this guy, it gets to a certain point, he gets up, he winds back and just socks this girl in the face wow. in the middle of a crowded subway car. And no one does anything. No one does anything. I mean, like, no one no one confronts this guy. No one, no one you know, like, does anything to kind of say, like, what you did was wrong. Right. They just let it happen. Mm -hmm. and, and there's and there's this, this, this poor woman, you know, and, and maybe she started the fight, but no woman deserves to get punched in the face, obviously. But it's like, you know, right. she's just sitting there, like, bleeding, broken on the floor. Mm -hmm. And people are attending to her, which is obviously a very kind of thing to do. But like no one, like no one's going to punish that. Like no one's going to do anything like that. Like it's, it's just such an injustice when we kind of just throw everything to the side and all, all this kind of stuff. And I, I know that you are a, um, I like I, I box. You, you like guns. You don't like to use guns. guns. You don't like to use. You don't like to use guns on people. Obviously, you, you, you like you like to, you like to shoot things, and, and that's great. And I think that's also a very cathartic release for that same reason. It's like that protective instinct, that that issue, that thing of of positive independence and self-sufficiency where you can say if things come to this i can defend myself and i can be very proficient in doing so i think it comes to again column motif coming back to personal responsibility of like i don't count on anybody being next to me 24 7 to defend me right like yeah. it, it's up to me um now do i wish that i was stronger absolutely do i wish that i could box like you absolutely you're welcome um, anytime my friend hey let's do it shout out archetype boxing club by the way let's do it let's do it but <laughs> Uh, you know, the the other thing is um, a firearm is, is possibly the most effective um, tool in defense if, no, if you know how to use it properly, which again goes back to like, yeah, I love going out to the range and training because at the end of the day, heaven forbid I ever have to pull or, you know, present my firearm, I need to be in the right state mentally and also be in the right state physically to be able to um, defend myself or or my wife, my girlfriend, my kids. My so, it, so it's it's a mental thing as well. You're saying absolutely. Okay. So absolutely, we 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 talked about this one, one time about firearms. And firearms are such a, a mental thing um, where you have to be in a certain in, in a certain state. Like if you have any questions about yourself um, being around near you know firearms, like say like make that known if you're if you're not comfortable being around firearms because that is totally fair. Um, sure. But if you if you if you're in a healthy state mentally, I think it's a great it's a great tool. It's another tool in, in the chest. Yeah. Um, again, you know, like police officers. I don't have a police officer guarding me twenty four seven. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but even they carry a, a multitude of tools. They carry batons and pepper spray and different different levels of, of, of training. Uh, where, you know, like my first instinct on someone, it would never be to pull my gun. Right. Like that's not, yeah. that's not a first instinct. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but being able to like, being able to box mm-hmm. or carrying pepper spray, hugely important. And honestly, any method of defense is better than none because oftentimes it's a deterrent. Think about bullies in school. Like, sure. You know, all it really takes to deter a bully is, you know, just someone standing up for themselves. Mm-hmm. So yeah, really any, any sort of personal responsibility in defending yourself is so key and important. Yeah. So the gun's uh, just like at the yeah, top of the list. <laughs> and, and, by the way, have you seen Shane before? I have not. Okay, so Shane is is the best Western I think I've ever seen. My, and I love Westerns. Like, it's the best Western I've ever Perfect. seen in my entire life. I love Westerns. Like, yeah, so like, it's like up there. Like, do you, have you seen Django before? Jane. Django and Shane. I have not. See, okay. this is also going to be coming up too because like, I am so uneducated when it comes to entertainment. Okay, or, okay um, good. Yeah, okay, okay, so if you want to, like, in my opinion, Django is, is Quentin Tarantino's, uh, his book is actually over there. Quentin Tarantino's second best movie after Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction will forever be the greatest Tarantino movie I've ever seen. Right, but right. Django, starring the great and powerful Jamie Foxx, Christoph Waltz, uh, mm-hmm. Kerry Washington, Leonardo DiCaprio, all those a wonderful, a wonderful yeah. actors and actors. Yeah, very, very big, heavy-hitting lineup. So, like, it, it, that, I don't know if that's a Western. I think it, it's a Western, for sure. It's a Western. And yeah. so, like, there's a – that's probably the second best Western I've seen. But Shane is the best Western I've ever seen. So he has this – I talk about this in my book, uh, Value Economics Study of Identity, two-time number one Amazon bestseller, Forbes article winner, uh, audiobook out now, by the way, audiobook out. So I talk about this in the, in the first part, in the first chapter, oh, where... Can we, can we just pause for just one second? That was a fantastic quote. Well, I, I've, gotten, I've gotten quite good at him. I've gotten quite good at him, my friend. Yeah, well, I can tell. That's, yeah, Thank I had, you, yes. I had to comment. 107 podcasts in now. We're, we're, we're getting the hang of this thing. At least hopefully we are. So, nice, nice. Um, so basically, I, I talk about this in the first chapter of my book, where... There's the same this, this uh, scene in Shane. So Shane is basically this uh, this story of after the Civil War. There's like a small prairie town, like in like you know Wyoming or mm-hmm. Oklahoma or something, where this guy who is a um, who is a cattle rancher who is basically exercising tyranny over this town, and he kind of is like telling all of them what to do. He's making like basically like enslaving them and debtured servitude, all this kind of stuff. Right. This guy, this Civil War veteran rides off and helps free this town by like you taking on this cattle ranch and all this kind of stuff. And so he's, he basically mobilizes the town people, the townspeople to take on this guy who has a whole army of people, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so Shane, it, it, he bunks with, and he starts out as like just a wanderer. Like he goes in, like fixes their, like this guy's roof. And so he goes in and it's, it's a father, a mother, and then their young son. And so he goes, grows really attached to this young boy named Joey. And so he knows that the trouble is coming and that there's going to be like a war in the town and all this kind of stuff. So he, he is a big, you know, he's a sharpshooter. He's like a draw smith, all that kind of stuff. Like that. It's right. classic like Western Mexican standoff type shit. Very cool. And so, yeah, it's, it's awesome. You definitely, yeah. you definitely. No, I love it. It's, it's, like it, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's awesome. And so then he, um, he is teaching Joey how to shoot in the backyard. Joey's a young boy. He's 10 yeah. years old. And so he's teaching him how to a shoot. Perfect age to start. Yeah, right. And he's, you know, he's teaching him like he's having you know, take the safety off, like do all this kind of stuff and everything else. And so... But the mother comes outside and is obviously, you know, kind of distressed that this, this relatively strange man is teaching her son how to shoot. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and so, you know, he, she goes over and he's like, and she's like in her crunchy voice, like, that, those, those, my son will never learn how to shoot, like, ever, all this kind of stuff. And he's like, well, you know, Marianne, Marianne's her name is like, Marianne, a gun is a tool, no mm-hmm. different than a shovel, like a, a, anything else. Like, it's just, it's just something that happens. Like, it's not, it's an inanimate object. It's not an animate object. Right. And so it's not, it's not a human being. It's not like a plant or, you know, anything else. It's a, it's a thing. 
And so that is like that is I think the biggest argument for those type of things. And I know like a lot of people have a lot of opinions against guns, but what I think that you cannot argue that a gun is alive. Like a gun is not alive. Like it, it is a it is a it is an inanimate thing that can be used for a purpose, well, a bad purpose, a good purpose, but that purpose is all in the wielder, which you, we were talking about, and that's why the mental state is so important. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think, you know, going back to tools, well, like, you know, you wouldn't want to use, like, a hand crank, uh, a drill. You'd want to use, like, a cordless drill, you know, cordless power. Right, yeah, yeah, no, It's kind of like, um, you know, which one would you rather have? I'd rather have the most powerful tool at my disposal, if need be. Heaven forbid yeah. that need ever arose. Um, now back to, you know, kids being raised around guns, you know, we, we, we growing up in a society where guns are such a taboo thing mm-hmm. and it's, and it's really sad because guns are, if you, if you're in a good mental state, um, like guns are such a, a great release, um, in general, you know, just going out to the range plinking, um, it's just, you know, recreationally like hunting or even like skeet shooting is mm-hmm. super fun. Yeah. But the thing is, like, I, I didn't even grow up in a home. We didn't really have guns in the house until I was maybe eight or nine. Okay. Which, like, up until then, like, guns, like, I didn't know a thing about guns. I remember my dad got um, first pistol. And, uh, do you remember what it was? I do. It was a uh, Glock 23. Oh, wow. Yeah. It he was, was packing back then. It was, okay. a, it was a 40 caliber Glock. Wow. Um, Jesus. Yeah. And uh, that was that was that was fun. Yeah, that uh, was. Which is uh, ironic. Now I carry uh, <coughs> the Lord's caliber, a forty-five ACP. That's right. So, okay, cool. I know nothing about guns. That sounds sick as shit. It's a big bullet. Well, think about it. It's a bullet. Four, no, I, I know the bullet. Yeah, it's a big no, bullet. It's yeah, half inch bullet. Yeah, it's big, big bullet. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so we I, I wasn't raised around guns necessarily, but at that point, it my my dad deemed it necessary for the house to to have a gun, and uh, he bought one and. And we, we talked about them, and he let us, he taught us to respect it, mm-hmm. not to fear it, not to shy away from it, not that it was, it was a bad thing, but, to, but to, to simply say just how we left the kitchen knife, the kitchen knives in the, yes. in the block, just leave the gun alone. Yeah. If you don't need the gun, don't touch it. Yes. And yeah. um, I think that's super important. Like, I look forward to... To one day having a family and having kids, and, at, and when they are mature enough, teaching them how to shoot, teaching them how to how to look at guns, how to view things, because a lot yes. of it is perspective. And um, of course, like especially at, at young ages, it's very important to keep your guns locked up because you can't push the personal responsibility on an eight-year-old right. to know how to you know to, to control themselves necessarily. But at some point, they get to that maturity level where you know maybe you might buy them the first twenty-two mm-hmm. or whatever. And, and I look forward to that. But that's the thing is like we as a society have grown up in a world where guns are looked at as this taboo thing mm-hmm. when in reality it's a tool. It's a very effective tool and deserves a lot of respect because in the wrong hands it can be used very, very poorly as we've seen a lot of mass shootings. And unfortunately, a lot of those situations come back to mentality again. Yeah. And, and how we as a society don't, don't look out for each other. And so where we shouldn't rely on other people to help us we should also have that personal responsibility to to help others and be there and you know um care love for for even even the weird kid around school yeah oh no especially around you know kids like that right and so uh again all personal responsibility all, all you know all that to say guns are a very effective great tool um 
in the right hands. Yeah. And so, and, and the yeah. thing is, the right hands are more prevalent than people think they are. And because think about how many guns are in America. I think I saw more guns than people, right? More, way more. That's three guns to every person. Is it really yes, that high? It wow. Is, it is crazy high. Wow. Um, and, you know, you, but you don't hear about all those, the good gun owners. You don't hear like, yeah. I, you know, I follow the NRA on Instagram and, I, you know, they post articles about how like a concealed carry um, license holder, you know, um, defended themselves against uh, a, a would-be attacker or whatever mm-hmm. right. the case may be. Yep. And like, I love seeing stories like that. But the, the sad part is you don't see that story the majority of the time. Yeah. You, don't, you don't hear about that. But it happens more often than people think because good hands are more prevalent than the really bad hands that we always hear about. Mm, yeah. and, and that's just and – it, and it's kind of sad. But that's the society that we live in. Well, it, it's – I think that the essential point that you made there is about perspective. And it's about all this all this kind of stuff we take towards everything. So like, like, let's take something else like for example, like, like, for, like racism, for example. Mm-hmm. Racism is a perspective. Yes. It's a perspective that people have. This person of – a specific race is inferior to me just because they look different than I do. Obviously, a ridiculous assertion. Right? Because all from humans, any side. Yeah, from any side. I mean, all, all humans are created in the image of God. And all, all humans have inherent value among them, no matter what they look like and who they, what their capacity is, all this kind of stuff. If they, you know, all this kind of stuff. So anyway, and we never hear about the incident, let's just say, where a, let's just say, for example, like a white and a black person, they have a really constructive conversation they start a business together to do all this kind of stuff what we hear is about the asshole in like south by southwest alabama calling a black person a very very mean name or the inverse or something like that so that it's and that's that's with everything man that's it with like so like we were talking about like my sister has autism earlier Mm -hmm. like what i paid attention to far more was the people that called her a retard or called her all this kind of stuff oh yeah all the people the tremendously much more amount of people by the way that were nicer to her, that were very, very kind to her growing up, and all of her friends growing up. But what I paid attention to, and rightfully we should, when it's an injustice like that, is by calling someone a very mean name, treating someone unfairly, not having the just eye set among a lot of people to call out that thing and make that wrong right. Right. Absolutely. And and again, it's it, we as a society. We should be more communal, more understanding of other people's situations. Sure. In terms absolutely. of like like your sister, where she can't change her situation. Mm-hmm. She can't. She can't. You know, I don't even want to say make herself better because she is who she is. Mm-hmm. And it's important for people to realize that. And you know, going back to race, you know, race is such a such a heavy, um, touchy to- topic. But you know, being there's a sense of personal responsibility that's required of everybody, but also a sense of um, community wanting to to be there for each other. Now, when it comes to community being there for each other, I feel like people misinterpret that as the government. So oh, okay. the government take care of it. Oh, um, yeah. So the, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, taxation, yeah, okay. you know, these things going to government programs and things like that, where I think it, it absolutely is, again, boils down to the personal responsibility goes both ways where I feel a personal responsibility to give back to, to less fortunate uh, communities. But the government says, no, 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 you don't need to do that here. I'll take your money. I'll distribute it. Yeah. Let, let it run through my hands first. They yeah. take it out of the hands of the people that can actually fix the problem exactly. because the only, th- the only thing that's going to fix any of these problems, whether it's like gun violence, race, like whatever, whatever you want to call it. It's the people on the ground that are actually in the communities 
doing the work to really make those communities a very constructive place to your point. That's all. Yeah. I Absolutely. Agree. And I, agree. I think yeah. that, that that really is the place of the organized church by organized church. I mean like the church building. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is absolutely the place I used to work at a church where they had so many different, different missions, um, that you could be a part of, you could volunteer your time, your money, what have you, food. Um, and they would go out into the community and we made a huge impact on, in the community. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is so, so important. And then it's a sense, again, it's the people who are going to those, those, um, missions, like it's a sense of responsibility to go and do those things. Um, and, and hopefully by spreading, I don't know, don't want to get too churchy here. No, like it's, I mean, hey man, it's right. a, it's free, it's a free podcast. You can by, say whatever the hell you want. By spreading the word of God, I think that you also learn a bit of, uh, of personal responsibility in that doing the right thing and working hard, working as unto the Lord is so important. Yeah. So again, it's a two-way street on everything. Again, perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, we really don't hear about the about the good things in life. And it's no, really man. Sad. Yeah, it, it is sad. And I think that like there's a lot of stuff that you know, and, and there's a lot of bad that needs to be called out. A lot of good that needs to be called out more. Absolutely. But I think it's like you know, it's it's we we make mountains out of all the wrong stuff and molehills out of the right stuff, which right. is very very unfortunate. But it's the way. It's the way the human brain works. It's the way a lot of other other things work, and I think that like that's what I'm so grateful for with our community that we have. Where I met you, the, all those all those months ago. Now it's actually you know kind of it's funny how we've you know, we've gotten you know pretty we've become good friends over this so this amount of time by doing all this stuff because we do. Everyone has to be grounded in something, mm-hmm. and you know I think the the reason why a lot of this stuff happens, whether it's people. Like, I think a lot of it, you know, going back to the things where, you know, people call, you know, let's just say people of a different race mean names, people who are disabled mean names, all that kind of stuff. It's because they're not grounded in a sense of really that just morality. And I think like a, the biggest mistake that human beings can make in many ways is trying to invent their own morality out of something that isn't founded in something greater than themselves. Right. And there were, this is another great, I'm, I'm sorry to be plugging Tucker Carlson all night, but he basically said there's a bit, the, the defining difference in the world right now, not just America, but the world is the people who believe in a God mm-hmm. or the people who believe they are a God. Yeah. That is the difference. And, and that is like, I, I, and I always say like, I, I've, this is an argument I'm, I'm making a lot recently with, with people. It is better to be one thing than to be another thing. I think there are, those are indisputable things. Like it is better to be financially free than financially crippled in a lot of ways. It is better to be healthy than to not be healthy. That is a, a absolute fact of the matter in a lot of other things. So in my opinion, there another one of these that's going to be, I would say controversial to some of my atheist friends out there, it is better to be a religious person of any kind than a non-religious person mm-hmm. because non-religious people succumb to idolatry, uh, ideology way more than religious people do. And religious people do plenty of that stuff. So that's our, it's already a dangerous trap enough. But if right. you don't have that grounding principle... I don't care if you're a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim, uh, you know, a Christian like I am, and you are all this kind of stuff. If you do not have that sense of greater thing around yourself that engulfs all of what you do, you're going to succumb to something that is probably not founded in something that's all the way true. Right, and I, and I think it, it comes down to where you either you either take your morality for something or you make your reality from immorality from anything. That's right. Yeah. And so that's right. Um, that's an interesting point. Now. Back to your point about religious people, I've had this conversation with a lot of people. They say, look at what religion has done to the world. Religion hasn't <laughs> really done anything but good for the most part. 
In the vast majority of cases, yes. And now what you really have to look at is religious people. So and so religious people is a really is a really tough like you have to define that because people point out Christianity and go, Well, what about the Spanish Inquisition? Yeah, like the, the, the Crusades. Right, look at the Crusades. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's like, yeah. yeah, but you don't find any foundation for those things in the Bible mm-hmm. um, in reality if you were to, to read the Bible. So I find I find those kinds of arguments to be funny. Now here's here's one thing that I think boils it down things boil down to for me. Because I've been asked, why are you a Christian? Why do you believe in something higher than yourself? Why don't you just do what feels good? You know, whatever. Yeah. What what have you. And the reality is, I feel a presence. I feel a purpose. Um, I've been in situations where I had no hope. Um, there was a point in my life where all I had was I had I was just surviving off of work, and I had a girlfriend. And uh, long story short, I things did not end well with the girl. Yep. Um, and all I had left was my work. And taking your value and from from purely work. Is a really tough mm. place to be in. Yeah. Now I managed to 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 make myself happy in doing that by I was an in, in HVAC tech in Houston, so I got to be fulfilled. A by booming business down there, by the way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, in the world, the yeah. largest city yeah. in the U.S., I believe, surpassing Chicago and, and super hot and humid. So yeah. a great market to be in. Um, super busy, so I got to keep my mind off of things and help people, but at the same time, I was drawing all of my purpose from my job which is a really dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized that there's a higher purpose in that. And, and that's what gave me hope. That's what made me want to keep going and make myself better. And that's why I ultimately ended up moving up here. And, and, uh, and cause I told myself I have to start over. I have to, and I'm so grateful I did. I, you know, um, I, I prayed a lot about it and I, and I trusted God throughout the whole, whole process of, of moving to a brand new city where I hardly knew anybody. And, uh, you just knew your cousin, right? I, I didn't even know my cousin at that point. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, wow. I never met him before. Okay. okay. Um, I do have a brother about an hour north. Yep. And I do get to go visit every now and then, but nobody in the city. And it's just been a really fantastic experience. And I and I I genuinely don't think with without God, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Yeah. And that is the reason why I will always be a Christian. And mm-hmm. so I hope that someone can can take that for what it is, my perspective, my life story, and say, okay, that makes sense at least. Yeah. You know, I don't want to, you know, because we all have different experiences um, with things, and and if you have questions about that, like I would love to, you know, to to talk to you or whoever at some point, you know, yeah. someone who may feel the same way about my beliefs and um, ch- challenge them. Yeah. Um, please, because. They, they've been challenged. I've been through hard times. A lot of people have been through even harder. Yeah. And that's why they turn away from from, um, from religion. Yeah. Which is understandable. But it's, again, it's about perspective and where you're drawing hope from. Yeah. And I think like the people confuse the extremes with the main, with the with the actual way too much. Correct. In a lot like, of things. In a lot of things. Yeah. And this is not a religious question at all. But I, like to, on the religion point, it's like people like the Spanish Inquisition is Christianity. Like, no. It's like you know, like radical jihadis are Muslim. No, like not, right. not like not like that. That's not what Islam is. Like that's not what Christianity is. Right. That's not what all this. And you can debate whether things are true or not. Like I believe in the Christian sense and the Christian religion that the Christianity is true. And a lot of people think differently than I do, and that's fine. But I 
am centered and oriented around that principle. Right. But and that's where I take my morality and my sense yes, of reality from. Yes, of course, of course. And, and I know plenty of people. Like I, I think, like I've I've noticed this. Like I get along with religious people much, no matter what they are, no matter what mm-hmm. religion they subscribe to. Excuse me. Versus you know atheistic people that kind of think that they can just make up their own all this kind of stuff out of their own false sense of hubris and self-sufficiency that a lot of them exhibit. And, and a lot of them are good people, mind you. Oh, yeah. But oh, it's it's like they they have this kind of inherent delusion about what they're capable of. And it's just not – it's not true. It's not it's not evident to me in any circumstance that that's true at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think, again, it comes down to perspective of the world, the way we see things. Um, also how – like how we view each other is super is super important. Yeah. And and viewing each other as equals is is really important and getting to learn from people. So like in in back to your point of like um speaking with people who hold a different uh faith base than you. I, I think it's super important to learn from them and learn why yes. they think they, th- they think. Um and then also being being respectful of disagreements is really important. Yeah, and and that's just that's just everything. Again, back to societal issues. Back to, um, yeah, I think I think it, again back to as a society, we've gone to this point where if you disagree with someone, shut them down, and you can't be friends. You can't do this, that, that, yeah. this, the other. And I think it's really important to have that conversation. Back to your idea of extremes too. We're told that you know, oh, all these alt right conservative, like super, you know, yeah. they're. You know, like the QAnon people who think exactly, like yes. Hillary Clinton's fucking kids in a Pizza Hut, which is not true, by the way. Like, don't don't censor this podcast; it's not true. But you know, <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, all that all that kind of stuff. It'll be a disclaimer. Yeah, now. yeah, disclaimer. <laughs> just like label slapped on the shit or whatever. Right. But yeah, uh, right. Check, yeah, you know? right. Um, but back to the idea of extremes. Um, extremes don't aren't reality. Yeah, you know, where I, I consider myself a conservative, um, I you know definitely wouldn't fall into the line of someone you know, like QAnon. Saying. Yeah, and it's like you know, not like you know, it's the same thing with with the conservative folks. They basically say like every major liberal person in power was like fucking kids on Jeffrey Epstein's you know fuck yeah. island or whatever. Like that's yeah. it's just it's just not true. It's not true. Yeah. Like there's no like grand conspiracy where like there's this giant international sex trafficking ring where like every prominent person on the left leaning side of the aisle was going to fuck kids on you know all, all the you know, whatever all that stupid shit. But anyway. You know, it's just, it's, it's just so, it's so limiting and they don't realize it, that it's limiting, which is very, very troubling for, for, I think them and for the broader culture. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's troubling for the conversation that needs to be had. Yes. Oh, oh yes, for sure. You know, I think, yeah. you know, there, there has, here's, here's the thing that I, that I like to think about. Everybody has a similar goal in a lot of things, not everything, again, generalizations. But in a lot of things, we all have have a general goal. We want to be happy. Yep. We want other people to be happy. Yep. We want the world to be at peace. We would love it, you know, this utopia, if you will. That's kind of like every everyone's goal in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure there's someone out there who just loves to see the world burn. But, you know, kind of the, the oddball out here. Yeah. Um, and I think approaching a conversation from that perspective where we may have a, have a, have a similar goal like, if I was talking to someone who was pro-gun control, I understand that we have a similar goal of, um, of you know, less gun violence. Like, absolutely, I want less yeah. gun violence. 
I just disagree that the way to get there is by taking away all the guns. Yeah. Or, sure. you know, or teaching kids, you know, to never, you know, never look that way. Mm-hmm. I disagree with that. Um, same goal, different method. Different yeah. Means. Yeah. So that's, again, perspective. Yeah. And it all comes back to kind of like the, just the overall sense of like, you know, the work you put in to get that point across in constructive fashion in a lot of ways. And we had, we had a really good, conversation over pasta we had earlier over delicious, uh, delicious, delicious. Pie. thank you by the way Absolutely. thank you sir. no no thank you well i mean we have all the i mean this is this is the good life man we're we're, we're sitting here we're having a good conversation we got three three bottles of whiskey right? very good bottles very whiskey. good bottles of whiskey yeah. I, I yeah I'm, I'm a lightweight so i I'm, i can't even gotta wash hey, myself i gotta here. drive you know it's yeah you know, you're right i don't want to meet you in trouble with all this kind of again another label probably gonna be slapping the ship we'll, we'll, we'll see i don't know <laughs> spotify's gonna, you know whatever but anyway um we have um we were talking earlier about about the nature of work and I was saying my seizure story about all this kind of stuff. Yes. And I think like the, the nature of like hustle culture, overworking, all that kind of stuff, which inherently is a is a derivative in my estimation of responsibility. It's a hyper responsibility on the aspect of work. And and you ha- and I, I am of the opinion where I was taught very hard way by getting in a car crash caused by a seizure induced by stress of working so hard. That I am firmly against the hustle culture, like a be obsessed to be average agenda to a degree. Like, do I think that certain people need to do, like, do I think Elon Musk needs to be obsessed with what he does? I do. Do I think that all of the great people in the world, like Stephen Hawking, like it's better that Stephen Hawking and Serena Williams and Michael Jordan, all these people need to be obsessed with what they do because their gifts are so great and so amplified in that kind of a sense that I think it would be a, a, you know, a disservice to the rest of the world. They did not be obsessed about that thing. But I want to let you say, I'm actually, I have not been privy to the side of the, the argument. But what, what would you say about that? No, I, to, I totally agree with that. But if you, if you go back and look at the people that you just mentioned, these people have made something for themselves and worked so hard at it. And they're so good at it because they have worked so hard. Again, back to the personal responsibility thing. Now, personally, like, I'm just going to tell a little bit of my backstory. If that's sure. Right. No, go ahead. So, moved out, um, Let's see, when I was 18, let's see, when I was, I guess, 16, my dad quit his job. We didn't have health insurance. They were just living off of Social Security. And, and I was, okay. and there was a lot of things happening in the family. Um, and I was, I was the only one at the house at that point, 16, 17 in that, in that area. Now, I was constantly working. I never wanted to go home. I was just constantly out at a friend's house or whatever. Um, but primarily working, even through high school, um, I worked sometimes even full time yeah. hours a week while still in high school. And then, um, 18 rolls around and I realized, Hey, I either need to do something, uh, with my life, go to college or something, or I need to get a, or I need to like get a real job. And so I did not want to go to college. I had a 3.7 GPA through high school. Which Look at you. Know. Love so that. I could, you know, I could get into college fairly easily. My brother's got full rides to other colleges. And, uh, but school is not for me. It's not making me money. It's not yes. for me. So I said, uh, I went to work at a, at a, at a warehouse. Didn't know how to drive a forklift, started driving forklifts. It was a HVAC supply house in Houston. And so I started to learn about AC systems and it was so cool. The technical aspect of the trade was so fascinating. To me. Yeah. And yeah. you know, some, a lot of people would look at a trade and be like, Oh, whatever, you know, you just didn't want to go to college. It is truly fascinating and very technical. Yes. So I decided while I'm working, uh, 40, 45 hours a week, making 12 bucks an hour, moving out of my parents' house. I went to school three nights a week. And then I would do a side install on Saturday. And then I worked at a church on Sunday. 
So I was constantly working, seven yeah. days a week. Even since yeah. I was 17, I always was working at least every day. And I would always tell myself, if I'm not making at least $100 a day, I'm not doing it right. Mm. And so I worked like that. And I worked myself very, very thin. I had a girlfriend at the time, too. Yeah, yeah. And um, eventually I finished trade school, made straight A's all through trade school. Um, yes. And then I uh, got a great job uh, doing new construction uh, startup. And then as a service tech in Houston. And... Uh, it was really, really great. It was a great experience. And I was constantly working. And at some point, I said, I told myself, I have to, I can't, I can't do this forever. Mm-hmm. I can't, I don't want to be that dad who's, you know, I don't know. I just, I just couldn't be that dad in my sure. mind. And cause I think that far ahead, which may be detrimental. Or no, I don't, I don't think it is, man. I don't think, the, I don't think people think far ahead enough. And I think that, you know, bad habits and good habits both have the habit of compounding. Right. If they if they're not taken care of properly, if they are taken care of properly in a good sense, but I think it's it's good that you have that that inherent foresight about yourself. But go ahead, keep yeah, going. I yeah, have I have good. desires and dreams and goals and whatever. Yeah, you know, I mean, whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're goal oriented. This is this is good. Right? Goal oriented. Right. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, good thing. Yeah. So I told myself I can't keep this up. I shouldn't keep this up. I'm killing myself. They're offering me way more money. Like I could have made six figures next year easily, but I said no. I'm not going to do this. Yeah. I can't do this. And so I decided that I needed to just start over. And so I moved up here. I got a great job doing inside sales. Um, and I really love it because I, I do think that happiness is, uh, in general, is something that is a mentality that you, it's not, yes. it's not just something that comes upon you. Like bestowed upon you. Right, right, exactly. Oh my gosh, now I'm happy. I think it's, it's there's something to be said for um, finding contentment and peace yeah. in what you're doing. But yeah, so I decided that I needed to make a change and start over. So I moved up here. I'm super grateful for the opportunities and uh, just the blessings that, that are you know are from God and, and um, all the same personal responsibility. And so, but but grinding is so important. But at the same time, at some point, you have to stop. Yeah, you can't you can't carry it on forever. Yeah, and you have to pace yourself. Yeah, you do. You can't you can't do it forever. Yeah, and just like you you know where you were hustling and grinding every day. You you know it, it turned very detrimental for you. Yeah, I just got my fucking head chopped off by a, a thing and then you whatever. Yeah. yeah, my mentality was very yeah. very poor. I had no walk with the Lord, and like it was very detrimental for me as well. Hey, I was making money. I was having you know a half decent time, but I had no purpose. I had no point. It was yeah. very detrimental for me as well. Yeah, and so I just you know. So you lost touch with your faith during that time as well. Absolutely. So, oh really? All I okay. had was at that point was was my work and uh, a girl. And then oh I lost the group. Mm. Now all I have is work. Mm. And that made me run back to my faith because that was the only thing that I could hold on to. Yes. And I knew that would always be there for me. Yeah. And it really made me realize that work and this grind that I think is so important, it's really minuscule in the long run. It is, man. And I think that, like, it's, you know, and obviously, you, you know, we're recording live from Austin, Texas right now, where it's like a lot of people who are working in very, very lucrative jobs. And I work in technology. I know a lot of these people. Absolutely. And so like they, that is like everything else. They just go and they just make, and they make way, probably way more money than I would make probably way more money than I probably should be being, getting paid. Don't tell my boss that, but all that kind of stuff, you know, that kind of thing. And be able to make these, these just absurd amounts of money for like, I mean, you like, you do something of value. Like your company does something of value. Like you make people's houses cold. Right, like that is a, like that is the thing. Like I, I, I was, I had this joke basically all the time, and I had this 
serious problem where I sell software for a living. And I, I, I and basically, I, yeah, you know, I'm like, whatever. And so I, I sell, you know, in what? Oh, no, I was, I was finishing off my bourbon there. That oh. was so good. Oh, yeah, man. It was, uh, that, that Woodford Reserve, and it, it hits Oh, that was bit. Woodford. It's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to High West as well. That's, that's good that's stuff. High West. That was, that was really yeah. good. And then yeah. Middle West. You know, got some Middle West. Here. Yeah, no, I, I, that's what I'm, I'm getting in right now. But I think the uh, the, the biggest thing, I kind of lost What was I saying? Uh, oh, shit. We're talking about uh, the grind. We're talking yeah, about being yeah. a record of business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So okay. basically, like, it's like this... This constant thing where, you know, it's like you make a lot of money and you blow a lot of money on stupid shit and you just go back and do the same thing over and over again. And like, right. I'm sure these people are contributing their 401ks and they're doing all this stuff. But it's like, and I had this joke, this is what I was saying. I had this joke that I would say to my mom, especially when I was remote, I sell invisible products to invisible people for invisible amounts of money. Yes. Like, and there's yes. nothing tangible about that. There's nothing yeah. tangible about anything that I have inside of there, which is, it was just so... After a while, I was like, well, you know, what the fuck am I doing? Like, it's just so, like, it's a lot of stuff that you just kind of have to maintain and take care of where it's, like, it's very little, like, because, like, when you, when you build something, when you help, you know, make, you when you see that joy of service in another person, in a physical, like, the physicality matters. Like, being able to look a person in the eye and say, like, I'm going to promise you this, or I'm going to make this thing work for you, or I'm going to kind of do all this other kind of stuff. That means a lot to people. Absolutely. And I think that's why, you know, like, let's just say, for example, like, you know, when I'm from, I'm from the Midwest and like when a lot of manufacturing jobs went away, right. a lot of people, particularly men, they lost a lot of themselves from that kind of stuff because they lost that sense of like, I'm doing this thing for this person. And I get a lot of, I would say, satisfaction, joy, meaning out of this. Right. And so when you... When you're doing that kind of work, I mean, it really, really does matter because that stuff really, really helps. And a lot, a lot of people realize that, unfortunately. We're just kind of in this rat race of a bunch of people working hard for no fucking reason at all. It's weird. I think, again, it boils down to perspective, though. You're you're benefiting a company and you're benefiting people's paychecks by offering them a good product. Yeah. So, and, know, and, and that is true. That is true. I yes. think, you know, again, perspective is really important. Mine just happened. My, my previous job, it just happens to be a little bit more more like it's like kind of in your face like you know i had one guy i told you this story he asked me why should i buy it for your company i gave him a spiel and he said sold seven thousand dollars later and i'm walking out of his home with a a little vial of 250 dollars whiskey that's right yeah. that was a that was a nice that was a nice little you know sure but the thing is like you can't live your life based off of that purpose like um because when people don't when people don't respond that way it, yeah. it's really a downer and so sure. again, it comes back to perspective and, and learning where your hope and where your foundation is is from goes back to your faith and whatnot. Yeah, but, yeah, man, it's it's a tough thing to swallow, man. Because I mean, you have a lot a lot of people that you know we live in a very you know unfortunately very very secular world now and a lot of other things, yeah. especially with young people. And mm -hmm. like a lot of them are sitting on this house of cards, they don't even know it at this point. Yes. They're sitting on this house of cards and they're just waiting for it. Like it happened to me, like it just for it to just one flick of one thing on the bottom level and then the whole thing just fucking falls apart. The whole thing falls apart. And you know, they're, it's, in a, it's a precarious situation to be in 100%. And you have all this stuff to kind of do with everything else. And it's just like, you know, at the end of the day, you need something more substantial than you can mm -hmm. help support you or else it's going to be. It's going to be a rough tumble down yes. in a lot of ways. A rough tumble down. Yeah. yeah. Again, where you're pulling your hope and your foundation from. Um, and the other thing is too, though, like, um, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask on a date. I have two. I have two questions that I like asking. Oh, oh, this is, yeah, yeah. Please. We're gonna we're gonna 
I'm going to tie my dating life into this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, no more appropriate place in front of the entire world, my friend. You exactly. Don't. Yeah, exactly. right. Yes. Um, but uh, I have two questions. One of them is kind of, kind of part of two questions. Okay. So what are your dreams, your goals, your aspirations? What makes you tick? Okay. And then your second is, what is your biggest fear? Oh, interesting. So like, what is your, what is your, like the thing that you're striving for? And what is your biggest fear? And if you don't have, if, if you don't have either one of them, I think you're lying. I think deep okay. down you have something. So <laughs> if, they, if they say like, oh, I don't know, or I don't have any, then, then that's a red flag for you. It, oh, absolutely. Okay. All right. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Um, absolutely. So now my, now what I would strive to be, what, what I would say my biggest fear is, would be failure. Mm. Everything that I've built with the help of others, don't get me wrong, this is not, you know, this is not, you know, all me. I've been blessed. I've had great people around me. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, it did come down to personal responsibility and my own work. But would be to lose everything and have to start over. The thing is, like, my house of cards falling. The thing is, though, I've built my house of cards and I can do it again. Mm. And the only reason I have that hope is because I know who is with me the whole time. Yeah. And uh, so that, that I would say would be my biggest fear. And I have a question for you, sir. Yeah. What is your biggest fear? It also doesn't have to be your biggest fear. What is a big fear? In no, I, I know. I, I've thought about this. Uh, loneliness. 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 Really? Yes. Why do you think that is? I think it was because loneliness is my biggest fear because I think like I spent my entire life thinking I was a loser for the most part. And so I, I thought... Hard to imagine. Hard to imagine. Well, I, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's true though. Like I, I literally thought it was like everything else. And I think like, honestly, I was so... Because I think... And it all comes from like an insecurity I think that I had for the longest time around women to, to keep on, on this track because... I like the people that I looked up to most of my life were my parents, my grandparents, a couple sets of aunts and uncles who all met their significant others very, very early on in life. They had it all figured out, all this kind of stuff. So that was, and we all follow models, like especially as, as young people, as children. Right. And so my model was get married really young, have all this kind of stuff, and then you know, ride this thing out. And so when that didn't start happening, my, like my parents went on a date to a pizza hut in Elyria, Ohio at 16 years old and never looked back. Really? And so when I hit that age and I started realizing that I sucked ass with women. I freaked the fuck out. I, I did. I freaked out. Thought, what is wrong with me? Yeah. Like what's yeah. wrong with it? Like what the fuck? Like, you got to get your shit together. And, and, and no, obviously nothing was wrong with me. I just yeah. kind of, you know, it was obviously. just kind of like going at my own pace and doing all this other kind of stuff. But like yeah. that, that freaked me the hell out. Yeah. And so yeah. I think like a lot of it was just kind of, and a lot of the things I did where I just kind of, I acted like a clown. Like I think my, I, I did a lot of you know bad things in terms of internet pornography in terms of yeah. all this kind of stuff. Uh -huh. It was all to get rid of like that crushing sense of me being by myself, yes. and that was that was a big a big thing that I and I'm still working to overcome at this point, but that was a huge thing for me and still is. Yeah. What's interesting is I see a correlation here between your fear and my fear, which is it's a place where we've both been mm -hmm. and a place we never want to go again. Right. It's a it's a pain, uh, and you know, I, and I wonder if one day we'll discover something that hurts even more. And I hope oh, boy. I guess that would be my biggest fear, discovering something that hurt worse than failure yeah. or being nobody or nothing. Well, I, I think that there's another thing like going, tying back to the responsibility point where we were talking about this. 
when you become responsible for a family, for a wife, for children, mm -hmm. that's what's going to supplant it. Because when you when you have something that means more than your life means to you, then anything happening to them is going to be catastrophic to deal with. Yes. I think in a lot of ways, like if if your child gets sick, if your wife gets cancer, something like that, like you know, God forbid that that ever happens. But if that happens, like that's going to crush me because that's going to send you back to that place. It's going to be because of like I'm like oh my God. If I lose my wife, if I lose my, lose my child, right. I'm going. Not, not only do I have that portion of my heart ripped out, but I have. I go back to the loneliness, and yeah. you go back to your fear of failure. Like maybe I couldn't keep my wife or child safe or everything else. So it's like a double whammy in that kind of a sense, which is really terrifying when you think terrifying. about it in that way. Now here's here's the, here's the thing though: is like we can't live. Like I tell myself, I can't live in this constant fear of failure. Yeah, I can't live my life being comfortable. Like just saying, okay, I'm at where I'm at. I'm comfortable. We're done. Yeah. Because I was scared of losing it. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then the other part of it is, is, is building a hedge. So it's like saving money. Yes. Being able to protect your family, whether that be physical strength, mechanical strength, such mm -hmm. as a firearm. Yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. you know, how, yeah. whatever, you know, whatever that might be for you, but you want to protect these things at all costs. Um, so I, you know, I, I find it interesting how both of our, our biggest fears, you know, they tie back to kind of the same thing. And, uh, you know, we can't, we can't live our lives in fear. And so we, we build things to protect them out of personal responsibility. Like my, you know, might be told, Oh, we don't have to provide, you know, we don't have to be the number one providers for our families or whatever. But as men, we really value being the providers um, for our families because we feel a personal responsibility to make sure that these things don't happen. Yes, of course. We feel a personal responsibility that if my wife, you know, or if my wife gets sick, I can, um, you know, we can, we can pay for it. Mm -hmm. We can pay for the treatment for the kids, what have you. Yeah. And, uh, I think that that's what true masculinity and personal responsibility boils down to. Mm. Not saying that that's a purely masculine, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of women who feel that way too. Yeah. But I think, you know, in terms of men, which I feel like, you know, we're mainly talking to. Yeah. No, in this, in this, yeah, for sure. In this conversation. Masculinity yeah. Yeah. is so important. And that's what masculinity is. It's not this toxic masculinity that, uh, you know, certain shaving brands are against. No, oh, jeez. But, <laughs> you know, I think, um, masculinity is super important. That sense of self-responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Gillette Razors. That's, uh, you oh. know, minus, yeah, that's, that's hilarious. So, on that note, I want to end this on. So this is actually a very, very intriguing question. We're on the topic of masculinity surrounding. Shout out to the uh, the affluent standard, all my, all my, all my gentlemen, all my brothers inside of that community. But basically, we were we were talking. So this is actually a big thing. I want to show you this afterwards. So we had our end of the year conference basically in Dallas, Texas, in early December, and so a big portion of it was surrounded dating and women and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So. Um, the leader of the group who I actually spoke with today, shout out to, uh, my, my guy Hafiz Bayoku was talking about all the, all this sort of stuff. And so he came up with 25 base questions. That is like your one deal breaker question for, for a woman that you're potentially looking into starting a relationship with or dating. And so it was hilarious because he asked everyone like what their deal breaker question. He said, he said, pick five and then pick your one, like your five key ones and your five and your one first one. And it was hilarious because he went down, he picked my row and he didn't call on me specifically, but it, because I, he just ran out like before everyone else, there was like four people to my right. And so he's like, you know, um, this person, what's your question? This person, what's your question? It was hilarious. 
because they all said, and we're a very religious group. Most of us are Christians. There are a couple uh, Muslim uh, Buddhist gentlemen who are primarily Christians. And then so he was all like, pro, so all, all of some sort of yeah, mo- mo- very religion. much basically either very spiritually grounded or trying to get spiritually grounded mm-hmm. in some kind of a sense. So it's very refreshing. But but in that sense, he was basically he's like, what's your deal breaker question? And he's like, faith. What's your deal breaker question? Faith. What's your deal breaker question? Because obviously that's the thing that comes first for especially as Christians. Absolutely. But you know, and so what I find is the second question. What's your second deal breaker question? That's where we really get into kind of everything else. Right. And a lot of guys, it was it was something like body type. It was something like this, or it was something like with whatever. And it and it was all, but none of it was shallow. Like I like I remember um, a notable guy got up and said like. You know, body type is my is my is my second probably deal breaker question, uh-huh. and a lot of people, I think a lot of women would think that would be a very shallow answer, but it's not because it's like you know the way he explained it, the way he articulated it is like I cannot you know show the woman uh, the care that I deserve. But I do not think that you know it's not aligned with what I would want you know to be with in right. that kind of a sense, which I think is a very very fair critique, and, and people may not like that, but I think it's a fair critique. Physical but attraction is very important. It is. It is. And, and, you know, men are physically attracted to women first. Like that's, that's kind of what draws us into women in, in general. But what I would say, and what I would end to you is like, I'll ask you your second deal breaker question. And then I, I'll, I'll give mine, I'll give mine up. Oh gosh. Uh, I definitely agree with the, with the beginning question. One question I do that, like asking is dogs or cats. Okay. Say All right. Cats, that's kind of a red flag. Yep. Um, okay. But, oh gosh, that's a tough one. That is a tough one because body type, you know, um, I would have to say body type might be number three. Number two would probably be, be what's your, like, are you a driven person? Mm. Because, and, and, and that ties into personality because if, if the person that I'm with, no matter how beautiful you are, I, I dated a gal who was really very attractive. Yes. But absolutely no drive to be anything in life, which mm. made her immediately unattractive. Yes. Yeah. And no, so, um, no matter how, like, no matter what your body looks like, um, she was objectively a beautiful person um, on the outside. But if you're, if, if there's no substance to your being or no drive to be anything, it kind of, it kind of, it's kind of meaningless. Right. Right. So, number two would be what drives you, and number yeah. three would be, you know, would go to looks. No, the looks area. Yeah. So for me, like I'm, I'm the values guy. Like I wrote a book about a, bu- a book about values. So yeah. like mm-hmm. religion obviously is my number one. She has to be the same religion as me. Number two, she has to think the same politically as me mm-hmm. because politics is a reflection of your values at, at its at its core argument is a reflection of your values. Yeah. So, and, and I think, you know, religion is obviously the primary focus of your values. And then when you go down to worldly stuff, I, it was funny. Uh, shout out to the, shout out to our church, the Austin Stone. In our um, our dating with purpose class that I that I, I just suggest everyone take, um, you know, shout out to all the people who put that on. So there were I think four tiers of attraction and two four tiers of like like togetherness. Obviously, spiritual attraction was the first one. Then I think it was something like ideological attraction. So basically, like what your worldly values are, and then it went down to like emotional temperament, and then I think physical attraction was the fourth one. So it's 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 really important to be aligned on like your values are so important depending on your spiritual ones and your worldly ones. And I think that I cannot date someone that is diet. We could have some differences here and there for sure, but like on the core stuff, if that's not there, man, I, I I'm sorry, like it's it, it just it ain't gonna work. It, it's just not going to. It's not going to. There's a great quote, I believe, by Augustine of Hippo or Hippo of Augustine. Sorry, I'm probably Hippo of Augustine. Okay, okay. You know who I'm talking about? I, I, I don't. I, okay. I, I, I don't okay. at all. No. Okay, so, maybe I'm not talking about anybody. 
right, well, the spiritual <laughs> character I have in my mind person, yes. um, has a great quote, and it's, uh, in, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, love. Mm. And I wow, think it's like a lot of a lot of life boils down to that, including um, romantic relationships. I agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Mr. Yeah. Allen, it's been thank you, sir. Absolutely. Let me get, let me get another cheers up, everybody. We're going to clean glasses. We're going to take a little, little, little sippy sip. Good time. Okay, everyone. Like, yes, yes. Like I said, Dan, thank you for coming on. It's my pleasure. We will have you back on again. Absolutely. We're going to do this uh, actually together with you, you and Jerry uh, in, in December. We kind of had some conflicts come up at, at the last minute, which is which is totally fine. And you know, I'm glad we actually got you separate at first because combining you might have been too much for my system to handle at the end of the day. <laughs> but um, anyway, guys. So like I said earlier, this is this is going to be a regular part of the show. Dan is Dan is going to be the first of many to come on. We have another really really fire guest coming on in two weeks and. In the meantime, the Value Economics audiobook has been released recently. So if you're not a glue and paper person, like I, I'm a very glue and paper person. I have, I have these massive stacks of books like that Dan is like looking at right now. Yeah, it's, 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 it's an obsession. It, it is. It really is. Like I have two books. It's, it's, it's getting out of hand. But anyway, so the audiobook is out. I, I've heard great, re great reviews from a lot of my friends who have listened to it. Shout out to uh, Francis and Malogo. Go check out Ebo Flashcards, all his new business he started out. He gave me the first review on the audiobook, which is very, very great. Uh, you know, shout out to all the guys that are checking in. My guy Yinka is going to buy it tonight, all these other people. Hopefully, a lot of people are going to check that out. But in the meantime, guys, this has been Sam Lacrosse and Dan Allen. Open your mind on the day. Thanks for listening. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?